Hello everyone, so I want to start this way. This is by TerryAustinMedium.com. Now, some of the articles I do about the concerns that many people have with religion, some are are talked about from the standpoint of believers who are tired of religion being used as a way to smite people that are perceived to be different. And It also comes from the words of secular people, whether they used to be in the Christian faith or not. It, this is what Terry says. Christianity, as we have always known it, is in trouble. And to that I say, that is the truth. I'm not just referring to declining church attendance and survey numbers that suggest fewer and fewer people are interested each year. That is another truth. Although the spiritual need within humans remains strong as human beings define it for themselves and saying it. People are looking somewhere besides Christianity to fulfill that need. Some people may not use the word spiritual at all. Some people may use their own word that best describes their reality. And Terry goes on to say, we need to examine why Christianity has failed to be the spiritual answer people according to Terry, need. And that is something I, this is me off off the top of my head. That is something that I've been doing lately more than ever, examining Christianity's failures and the church's failures from a standpoint of humility and from a standpoint of compassionate concern. And Terry goes on to say, we will discover that the problem goes back a long way and like a ship traveling on the wrong coordinates is far from the intended target. Hmm. I love the poetic language. It describes the truth poetically speaking. What happened? Terry asked. I asked it in this way. What the hell happened? And I asked it in a cruder way. What the fuck happened? And the question Terry asks is, 
How did following a savior turn into a liturgy? And that can answer that question. Ritualism is their religion, and their religion is ritualism. Their religion is 100% lacking Christ-likeness. And Christ-likeness is 0% within religion. There it goes on to say, The Christian faith has three flaws that prevent it from being the answer to our spiritual needs. I agree with Terry. And Terry says, Each of them is something those of us raised in the faith find comfortable tend to fight attempts to suggest they are a problem. I'm now talking to only people who want to stay Christians. But what I'm also saying is touching the hearts of secularists as well. Transactional rather than transformational. Most of, us, most of us live in a transactional world. It is what we have known on our all our lives and where we are most comfortable. You might even say the world depends on us being transactional. Perhaps the best, perhaps the basis way to comprehend this notion is to look to economics. Economic systems are built on transactions. If you give me that, I will give you this. How else will you? How how else will we ever be able to purchase anything? Occasionally, we allow bartering to be a part of the transaction, especially when it comes to larger transactions. For example, we barter over the price of a car or a house, but we seldom bargain with a checkout clerk at Walmart. Also, transactions constantly fluctuate. What you paid for a gallon of gas today will probably be less than you will pay tomorrow. Even though the transactions change, Economic systems depend on transactions. This for this, tit for tat. What Terry is talking about is something I've observed too. It's called transactional religion. It's when Jesus is your business partner, not your savior. It's when Jesus is your colleague, not your messiah. It's when Jesus is your co-worker and not the Christ. And so many believers fail to realize that these are the ways that they see Jesus. They don't see Jesus depending upon what the four Gospels and even the Apostle Paul had to say about Jesus. If Jesus were alive today, a lot of people that thought they were going to heaven, he's going to say, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. 
Y'all the same people who want to brag about knowing me and abiding in me. That Jesus would say, y'all disown every chance you get, so I don't want to hear it. I'm just using my imagination based upon what I've read about Jesus in the Bible. That's why I said what I just said. And then it says, Economic transaction systems have proven to be effective. However, it's not quite as helpful when we live other aspects of life based on transactions. It doesn't work well for relationships. When a friendship is transactional, it will fail when one of the friends doesn't fulfill their part or it changes the terms. You probably have friends who like you as long as you behave a certain way or hold to certain beliefs. Again, you probably have friends who like you as long as you behave a certain way or hold a certain belief. If slash when you change, your friend disappears. So the question is, how godly, you know, based upon how it's defined in the Bible, how godly are church people to those who deconvert from religion? I say... There's rarity in that. How many, or should I ask, what is it like to hear me as a fellow survivor of abuse? be able to describe the fact that Jesus unfortunately is surrounded by fair weather friends in the church what is it like for you to hear an abuse survivor like myself say that and They have a situationship with God. They do not have a relationship with God. And no, I'm not trying to make anybody practice any religion. I'm just saying that they're not following the, consistently they're not following the examples that laid out in the gospels. So when I'll just say according to biblical theology because that because I'm respecting more and more the fact and truth that I'm a no religion type of person. But according to biblical theology, because God doesn't do for people what he wants them to do. And some, they, a lot of them call them he. I personally don't. I don't call God any gender. I'm gender neutral because of the concept of God. And I also want to make this clear. 
when they feel like God's not doing what they want them to do, they bail out on God. Again, I'm just quoting biblical theology today to get believers to listen to understand. This is how you're impacting people. It's so disastrous that all types of marginalized people are leaving the church syndromes. And then it says, parents often establish a transactional relationship with children. When they are young, it might be as simple as clean your room without giving an allowance or give them a trip to Six Flags for a good report card. The transactions can continue as they get older. A teenager hears that if they are out past curfew, they will be grounded. It could be even carried into adulthood. Do you know people who cater to their parents because they don't want to make them pissed off and suffer the consequences? That's a transactional relationship. Hmm. I'm more and more sensitized to the concept of transactional everything. As a person who actively heals self each and every day, and I don't let up on the weekends either. And so, and then it says, we have learned how to make transactional living work especially popular among the rich and powerful. Those who have the most are in a position to make the best deals. The poor and minorities don't fare as well in the system because they have less to offer and much, and much of what they do have is essential for survival. So, a lot of times people have a warped sense of survival when it comes to the concept of God. So basically, God is their piggy bank. God is their Wells Fargo. God is their MTV Cribs. And then it says, one area that we have made transactional has not worked out well. Most people operate within a religious system that is transactional. Here's the way it works. We must do certain things or behave a certain way for God to be pleased with us. If we misbehave, sin, God is angry and will punish us. This is the basic religious position for me. This is the this is the basic religious position for many Christians. Man sins, God is angry, and man will be punished. according to what believers are saying. Simple transaction. Off my globe! My globe! 
Hello, everybody. So then it talks about parents often establish a transactional relationship with children. When they are young, it might be as simple as cleaning a room, not giving an allowance, or giving them a trip to Six Flags or a good report card. The transactions can continue as they get older. A teenager hears that if they are out past curfew, they'll be grounded. It can even be carried to adulthood. Do you know people cater to their parents because they don't want to make them pissed off and suffer the consequences? That's a transactional relationship. So basically, they think of God as their genie. They think of God as someone who tolerates their magical thinking, wishful thinking, whenever that same God denounces their magical thinking, wishful thinking, thinking of that same God as a genie. They act like scorn disciples. They are. We have learned how to make transactional living work. It's especially popular among the rich and powerful. Those who have the most are in a position to make the best deal. The poor minorities don't fare as well in the system because they have less to offer. Much of what they do have is essential for survival. One area that we have made transactional has not worked out well. Most people operate within a religious system that is transactional. Here's the way it works. We must do certain things and behave a certain way for God to be pleased with us. If we misbehave, quote, unquote, sin, God is pissed off and will punish us. This is the basic religious position of many Christians. Man sins, God is angry, and man will be punished. Simple transaction. She is so beautiful. I was like, that's just... Your twin. They tend so to, to look at God as someone who oh will so snap its her. fingers We're just waiting, like I told and thunder like strikes them to death. They're that terrified of a God who claims to be about fearlessness. Yeah, However, for these so people, God made a better offer. Since we sin, God must punish us, but God still loves us and makes a better offer. Notice they say man and he. That's the that's their toxic masculine view of God. She's very, she's not someone who's like, I did this. Rather than going to hell. You know, as soon as you say something, yeah, I didn't know. That's not her. She's like, I'm a professional. God sent, quote unquote, his son to take our punishment. If we believe in, quote unquote, him, whatever that means, we will not be punished as far as deals go. This is better than any Black Friday special. Salvation and eternal life are available. All it costs is a quick prayer. Jesus' cross was nothing more than a transaction between God and sinful humans. And that's the texture. You know, that is the texture. That is the texture of, of, of what's happening in our minds. So, so definitely. Somebody passed the mic open. Please pass. We're and that's what happened. To you this, week. It is I, I knew today was like sharing Friday. This way of oppressing themselves and self-oppression. There's no such thing as wrong in the flesh, really. 
it's a funny. complex it's reality so of managing like ourselves, and it's like not you always on, you gotta do Kevin Hart on TikTok, uh, the shark fight with his wife, with Ellen. He had Ellen Rose. He had Ellen Rose. I would say that people are not lost. People just need to be gently guided through the life. They're here. They don't need to be found because they do exist. I'm like, Monique is just so freaking funny, and I just love I didn't realize I could actually the idea of transactional religion has been further developed for those who want more and escape from and, uh, hell, even though that's the primary you're, you're reason funny, yeah, and that they quote unquote serve God, it's all about escaping hell. So escaping hell is more important than serving the quote unquote heaven of God. Escape from hell also means I only worship God, not follow Jesus, just to go to heaven, just to get my eternal prosperity gospel, my name's in the book of life. I made it to the pearly gates and enjoyed my mansion. That song, I'm at my mansion now, I believe, they make that song all about going to heaven, which is saying escape from hell. That's the only reason they quote unquote tolerate God. They got quote unquote tolerance them. You cannot have some people, everyone hype. You can't have everyone laid back. You can't have everyone in the cut. If you want to enjoy a relationship with God, make a few more transactions. Avoiding sinners and big help. You will truly enjoy God's good time and prayer by the side of people here every day as possible. Writer, director, and producer, stage, film, and books, and I am the co-host. I'm just, I'm not preaching, I'm not being churchy, I'm just saying, this is only for believers, I'm not talking to non-believers when I say this, nothing I'm saying applies to non-believers, creative people make the world go round, so I just want to welcome you guys, today on Fridays we do a reflection, Obviously, church attendance and involvement are a big help. That is transactional religion at its finest. It's also Christianity at its finest. The Christian life is a series of transactions between God and us. If we do our part, God will provide blessings. Rather than understanding the cross of Jesus as a cosmic transaction, we need to realize the purpose was transformation. Jesus died. God was not making a sale out for you if you had faith. He, you know, he was transforming us. There was a transformation of understanding of God. He did not need to punish people because they sinned. He wanted us to understand that he loved and gave us to fight our sins. He gave the most obvious and imaginable. He sent his son to tell us that he loved us. The purpose of the cross is to transform us. The cross was also a transformation of our religion. The altar of sacrifice was limited since no sacrifice was necessary. By the way, even the Baptist church would designate the front of the sanctuary as the altar. No altar is necessary since no sacrifice is necessary. Our religion does not need an altar. When they say our, they're talking about believers in themselves, alright? Again, I'm not trying to make anybody Christian or make anybody have a religion. This is a believer talking about the issues of faith, so it's important to hear what we got to say. 
Our religion does not need an altar, neither does it need rules and regulations. Religious rules are designed to keep us in line. We are taught that if we keep the rules, God will be pleased with us and we will grow spiritually. That also includes religious practices, church attendance, prayer, Bible study, etc. It stays the same. Like, I know Patty. I met Patty first, but I also know her husband, Michael. Once we understand God's love, we will desire to please, quote-unquote, him. I say, quote-unquote, him and me and his a lot because I do not see God as a singular gender. I see God as spirit. And I'm gender neutral when it comes to God. And any deity, any Christ figure, to the religious text. We don't need to be browbeaten or enforced with by rules. We need to love those who love them. Knowing God's great love for us will transform us. Jesus does not, be, Jesus does not offer a bargain transaction. He offers transformation. So they don't want to experience transformational religion. They want to keep experiencing transaction. Binary rather than single. I'm aware that some people go apoplectic, assume I'm going to dive into human sexuality. Relax. I'm not using the term for what binary says wrong to believe their own male female to sex. I I beg to differ with it. I it is wrong to believe their own males and females do sex because science has made it abundantly overwhelmingly clear that there are gender identities that exist outside of the heteronormative heterosexist gender binary. And it says, by binary, I refer to looking at everything as having only two options, right or wrong, means living in a black or white world. The Christian faith has become a series of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. If you do this, it's good. If you do that, it's bad. Those of us who grew up in the church frequently heard the rules. In my Baptist tradition, that I used to be a part of, I share that, I, I share that with the author. I don't anymore, of course. We learned that Christians don't drink, smoke, gamble, or engage in premarital sex. Even though a lot of them do. A lot of Christians drink, a lot of Christians smoke, a lot of Christians gamble, a lot of Christians have premarital sex, a lot of Christians fornicate, a lot of Christians are in the LGBT plus community, a lot of Christians go to strip clubs, a lot of Christians frequent sex workers a lot of christians live together unmarried a lot of christians commit adultery in contrast we were taught to keep our eyes and thoughts pure avoid the wrong people by all means practice the rituals of faith bible study prayer church attendance etc sometimes we need people to believe in us when we don't believe in ourselves and there are, there are those that we have, and you have a community here. But that. you have a lot of Christians pretending that they're not into human sexuality, but they, they are obsessed with sex because they are sex repressed, sex negative, sex suppressed. Then it says, the same approach carries over as we get older. We learn to apply the same judgment to people in that city. 
According to conservative theology, having an abortion is bad regardless of the religion. Most people are evil, bad people. Obviously, I call bullshit on that. For people who need abortions, abortion is always good for them. Notice I said, we. They, they want what they need. So that's why abortion is good for I'm pro-abortion for people who need to. Yes. We're not allowed to consider it might be a woman or a girl is at the end of her rope with no one to help or even listen to her story to see if there were extenuating circumstances. In the eyes of conservative religion, wrong is wrong. Life is much simpler we live in a black and white world. Decisions are easy because we don't have to think about what is right or wrong. That's why binary living is so popular. And she's just someone like Patty, like Jill, she shows up and... Um, because you have a lot of believers who don't, who like talking about are fearful of the concept of right and wrong because we are definitely very protective they hate themselves. So, That's what yeah, religion is saying. It makes you a moral coward. And then it says, when there's a lot of gray, life can be messy. However, Jesus was not a binary person. He seldom told people they were right or wrong, pointing instead to different shades of gray in life. For example, the Samaritan woman at the well with the many husbands, Jesus did not condemn her for having several husbands, but he lived with a man who was not her husband. He simply spoke to her about her current situation. It did not matter if she was right or wrong. What mattered was her present state of affairs. Too often, we are concerned about what a person is doing, right or wrong, not the person. Our religionists, when they say our religion, talking about belief, not non-believers, non-believers, he's speaking to believers like himself. His share yesterday was powerful every single day listening. Delano's really good with listening back to the replays. Me, I don't listen back to them as much. Too often we are concerned about what a person is doing right or wrong, not the person. Our religion is his believers talking about something. Has become little more than a system of rules and regulations. We proclaim that God accepts everybody. But then we expect them to change and live according to a set of rules. By the way, the rules are very clear because they're spelled out in the Bible. This allows us to easily label people or groups as good or bad depending on which rules they keep and don't think. The fascination of right or wrong brings us to a third problem of Christianity, focusing on doing rather than being. Since the crux of the faith is on keeping rules and performing specific behaviors, we focus our attention on doing rather than being. People are valuing on what they do and not who they are. That is what is called performative religion. Performative religion is dangerous. Performative Christianity is unsafe. That's how the Christian faith has changed from following the Savior to following a liturgy. I use the term liturgy to describe the way people worship and serve God. We strive to do quote-unquote Christian things. That's why the question. That's why the questions. 
but with Jesus, it became so popular. Once we determine what Jesus did, we know day. what we should do. And those areas where we have no record of Jesus doing anything, we make up stuff based on what he did in similar situations. For example, let's return to a favorite whipping horse, abortion. What would Jesus do about abortion? We don't know since he said nothing specific. According to conservative theology, According to conservative biblical theology, this is what they will say. Conservative Christians will say, quote unquote, we know he loved children and emphasized their importance, even suggesting that in some way we need to be like children. And then they'll say this, these conservative Christians will say, consequently, We can't imagine Jesus advocating killing a child even under extreme circumstances. The conservative Christians will say that, and the conservative Christians will say this. And then these conservative Christians will say that, and they will say, therefore, the quote unquote Christian thing to do is oppose all abortion. Now, I want to state my position on abortion on record. I oppose all abortion restrictions. I oppose all abortion bans. Abortion is not murder because a fetus is not a human. So it is scientifically inaccurate as well as a moral failure to call people who get abortions quote-unquote abortionists and quote-unquote baby killers. Those derogatory slurs need to stop being uttered because Sometimes your voice can be so soothing that it just calms them. The Bible talks about that. With it is instrument. It calms, you know, it calms songs. Fucked up bullshit to and, and you just shit on people for having sensitive scenarios, you know, pertaining to their lives. And then it says, the problem is that we become so preoccupied with doing that we lose sight of who Jesus was. She gave us an update and on what's happening in our household. Can you see Jesus protesting in front of an abortion clinic, shouting insults at pregnant women and pregnant girls, telling a young woman, older woman, young girl with no family or support that she must spend the next nine months carrying a new child? And then 18 years of providing for that child. So we have the entangling coach. I can't imagine Jesus doing any of these things. You even have, you know, people who are women and girls who do have family, who do have support. Not all of them have that, but there are. And some get abortions, whether it's premature or not. You know, C-sections are real. But I'm pro-choice. I am for abortion rights. Um, I'm for the women's health. Um, I am also for... Uh, 
<laughs> protecting thank you, thank the right so to travel out of state for an abortion. Um, I'm for that. My too. week this week was most interesting. Um, and I think, uh, I think I'll share two things. Um, so, so, see, this is what I would say to the conservative crowd stop shouting insults at pregnant females, support um, the pregnant females. Be like this family to them. And be sensitive to the, fem- to the female reproductive system. Then it goes on. The question is not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus be? We know the answer to that question because we saw who he was when encountering people who were hurting and in trouble. It didn't matter if the problem was spiritual or physical. Jesus was there with and for the person suffering. To the adulterous woman suffering accusations and shame, Jesus uh, arrested. To the short tax collector and a tree suffering rejection, Jesus was a guest in his house. To two women mourning the loss of their beloved brother, Jesus was a life gift. To an angry crowd hurling insults toward his cross, Jesus was a giver. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have a wrathful side. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have a tough side because he showed those sides of him many times throughout uh, scripture. That exes are exes for a reason, that right? Era. Which, you know, you kind of take that in a bunch of ways. But here was the and funny when it part. comes to the adulterous the woman, was, I think that is an ancient rape culture tale that Jesus was really denouncing that. If you read between the lines, that's how she was. And then it says, it's time to put down your quote-unquote abortionist murder play card and put loving arms around that teenager who in preteen who will be thrown out of the house by her parents when they discover she's pregnant. It's time to stop posting hateful memes on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram Snapchat about LGBTQI plus folks and take your gay co-worker Chick-fil-A to lunch, get it? Question mark. And, it's know, time to stop striving to keep all the rules and be the one that Jesus did best love of. Well, no. I would she, say you know, Chick fil A should be inclusive to LGBTQ plus folks. Am I important? Make sure that LGBTQ plus folks belong when it comes to Chick fil A. These two teachers have become so prominent among Christians and not overly confident. Ever find the heart of the faith once again? I know I'm not there, but I'm trying. Terry Austin, the last writer of this article says, one of my favorite, one of Terry Austin's favorite Bible verses is, "And the Lord has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most likely, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, about the power of Christ to dwell in me. Second Corinthians chapter verse nine. Perhaps the key to recovering the true faith is to stop striving to let Jesus be. When we are a writer and producer and all of this wonderful stuff, but she is a ticking time bomb. And you know what? I love peace too much to go back to a volcanic eruption. So, so these are the things that people both need to really consider. That is powerful. And the thing about it is that if they're an expert of reason, now, I do know people where they 
they got back together. And this is the last song for the Nazi economy. Ten fatal flaws of the Bible, the contradictions and immoralities of this tool by Sin Zeke. Sin Zeke is formerly an evangelical read the Bible from cover to cover a dozen times and finally escaped the shake, his shake, childhood indoctrination of hellfire and brimstone. Then he says, what seems to be the number one reason people stop believing in the Bible is the reading. While it's extremely difficult and very understandable for many who have been indoctrinated as a young child to do so, especially those who were taught that they would spend an eternity burning in hellfire if they ever did, more and more are doing so. The availability of information and the ability to fact check is that in addition to the new discoveries in science history makes the change for many inevitable. Despite the emotional reality that what their parents and grandparents told them was true, was not. They, of course, just like the parents and grandparents of the other thousands of religions invented by humans throughout history, were taught by their parents and grandparents. Most are very sincere, but all of them require I'm just amazed that they are afraid of living life without fear. They are that attached to something they shouldn't have any attachment to, which is, again, that that sighted fear. That's what blind faith is. I see my fear and I pretend to not have vision for it. Spiritual sight is what I'm talking about. And then it gets worse. The second most likely cause of people losing faith is the political and social issues that their religion is promoting. Those include racism and disregard for science and basic human rights. Yes, they disregard science, they disregard um, fact checking, they disregard history, they disregard mathematics, archaeology, biology. They disregard research, they, get, they disregard logic, they disregard studying. They disregard critical thinking, lateral thinking, and creative thinking, or thinking for yourselves. They disregard anything and anyone that is unlike them, these us versus them crowd that they make themselves belong to. Mark Twain's final love for character Huckleberry Finn when he decided his loyalty and love for Jim was more important than obeying his religion that required him to return his aunt's property to her, which was Jim, her one-away slave, said to himself, well then I would just go to hell. Well then, I would just go to hell. Well then, I would just go to hell. Well then, I would just go to hell. He made this decision based on morality, decency, and love, regardless of the consequences. Now, having Google the fact check the numerous books, podcasts, and YouTube, and podcasts like this one, it is so much easier. These are the same people that, before the Christians, they don't. <laughs> practice Christian faith out of morality, decency, and love. 
They practice religion out of immorality, indecency, and hatred. And by the way, the Bible endorses slavery, something that makes conservative Christians happy. Or just say no thank you. And remember, uh, Janet was in the room and when it was her opportunity to speak, her dog threw up. Below are 10 reasons why it is objectively impossible to view the Bible as being inspired by a good and perfect God. Assuming, of course, that we define the words quote-unquote good and quote-unquote perfect the same way they are used in everyday life. Remember, fire and brimstone does not help a person to love themselves. It helps a person to continue hating themselves and to wallow and being antagonistic and necessarily what of it. Number one, the New Testament manuscript contain more distance than it has words. Bart Ehrman, formerly evangelical from Lewis, who graduated from Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College for obtaining his master's in Trinity and PhD at Princeton Theological Seminary, now one of the world's most respected New Testament scholars, cites the fact that has been documented by many other scholars that the New Testament manuscripts have more variants than there are words in the New Testament, well over 200,000 of them. Some scholars now count closer to 400,000 of them. While most do not affect any doctrine, there are some that make a big difference in how it is interpreted. Dr. Irma explains many of these in detail in the six New York Times best-selling book, Misquoting Jesus. Misquoting Jesus, the story behind who changed the Bible and why. Wow. There is more evidence that the Bible is flawed. There is more evidence that the Bible is a combination of statements, ideas, and features of situations that are opposed to one another. The Bible makes statements on positions opposite to one already made. The Bible has inconsistent elements that are clearly present. If it was the intention for a perfect, all-knowing God to inspire a perfect book so that, quote-unquote, his creatures would have, quote-unquote, his word and instructions, it would be of little value unless, quote-unquote, he made sure all copies of it were also correctly copied. Surely one should expect that a perfect God would have, quote-unquote, his word made available to every creature that is 100% accurate and not have over 200,000 variants in the copies. So, here's another person. No, no, here's another reason that the Bible is not perfect. And the startup says it can build homes 70% faster and 30% cheaper. But before I get to that, let me finish this part. If it was the intention for a perfect, all-knowing God to inspire a perfect book so that his creatures would have, quote, unquote, his words and instructions, 
It would be of little value unless because he made sure all copies of it were also correctly copied. Surely one should expect that a perfect God would have quote unquote his word made available to every creature that is quote unquote 100% accurate and not have over 200,000 variants in the copies. Like, All I can say is, is that the books were in the Bible copies were incorrectly copied, and that explains all of these abysmal variants that is riddled with severe inaccuracies. Number two, it declares many erroneous things about basic facts and reality of proven science. It's basic facts about how the earth came to be and how it operates were mistaken by the authors of the Bible. A perfect God certainly could not have inspired them to write the things they did. Despite what the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 10, verse 12 through 14, the sun did not stand still, nor did the earth stop rotating. Physics is clear. If the Earth ever stops spinning for even a second, all people, animals, rocks, topsoil, trees, buildings, and so on, will be swept away into the atmosphere. In addition, there's no recorded history anywhere in the world about areas having a long day or long night. Adam and Eve never existed. The fossil record, DNA, and other scientists all prove how human sapiens came to be. We originated in Africa, is what I said. And it was long after our sun and many stars existed, and long after many species of plants and animals lived and became extinct, despite the chronology seen in Genesis. When was Eve created? Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 to 27 says it was at the same time that Adam was on the sixth day, but Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 23 says it was after Adam, and the animals were created in order to find a better companion for Adam. Despite the Bible saying otherwise, there's no need to explain that rain and snow are not released through windows in the sky, or that two and a half million people outran the Egyptian army, or that Solomon was the wisest man on earth, or that Lot, Lot was righteous. We're going to go to number four later. And of course, everybody except a biblical author knows that bats are not birds. Nor is leprosy cured by sprinkling the blood of birds seven times throughout the house. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 49 My disillusionment with religion and denominations of religion is increasing in strength. Number three, the food chain of innocent, helpless animals. In Genesis chapter one, we hear God says several times that people's inspiration was good. But how is it possible for a good God to create the animal kingdom? Millions of various creatures, most of whom must kill and eat each other in order to stay alive. Again, but how is it possible for a good God to create the animal kingdom? Millions of various creatures, most of whom must kill and eat each other in order to stay alive. Innocent animals who must live in constant fear and then die a painful death, whether by disease, starvation, drunk, or torn apart piece by piece while being eaten alive unless they are killed and eaten by humans first. So, uh, I don't know about you guys. I think I the Bible promotes violations of animal rights, and the Bible endorses 
animal abuse. So PETA, the people, F, you know, people for the ethical treatment of animals, they're asked what's at the bottom of the day, but hey. All, quote, unquote, he had to do was make them with solar cells and ears with any other energy producing device that a smart god could easily, could easily have designed or spoken to existence. These creatures are totally innocent and near universal suffering. Serves no purpose in a world created by a good guy. Okay, then it says, all quote he had to do was make them with solar cells in order. Okay, all he had to do was make them with solar cells and in ears or with any other energy producing device that a smart guy could easily have designed to spoke into existence. These creatures are totally innocent and their near universal suffering serves no purpose in a world created by a good God. Solomon was even honored in First Kings chapter 8, verse 63 for killing 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep as a sacrifice to God while dedicating the temple. How come God didn't give us food without eating other beings for that same food? God could have made it that way. It's just the Bible keeps getting more and more bizarre from each time I study it. And then Christian apologists often say it was because Eve ate the apple. If that satisfies you, then go out and enjoy watching them suffer a painful and slow death while praising God for the wonderful and good world he created. Hold the fuck up. How the hell is our apples not demonized? And Christians eat apples, even though Eve ate the apple. First of all, the Bible doesn't say which fruit she ate. So assuming automatically assuming it's an apple is ignorant ass shit to do. Again, if that satisfies you, then go out and enjoy watching them suffer a painful and slow death while praising God for the wonderful quote unquote good world quote unquote he created. And again, Solomon is even honored in First Kings chapter eight, verse sixty-three, for killing twenty-two thousand oxen and one hundred twenty thousand sheep as a sacrifice to God while dedicating the temple. I I had to repeat these things because it is painfully mind blowing. Do not forget to enjoy watching the mourning and painful grief that many will visibly show when they see their child or parent dead or dying. Yeah, you have animal children, animal parent dead or dying because of how humans consume them. Even their carcasses, too, which ends up in our meal plates. After all, it would be your God's doing. As an aside, could it be that how we evolve explains our history of cruelty and racist tribalism? I say yes. Could, and as an, as an aside, could it be that how we evolve explains our history of misogynistic cruelty, queerphobic tribalism. Mm. Number four, immoral to the extreme, just a couple of examples of many. Lot offered his daughters to a group of sex seeking men to do to them whatever they wish. Genesis chapter 19 verse 8. Correction. Lot offered his two daughters to be gang raped by those dudes. So they could do whatever 
sexual abuse they wished to the daughters. Okay? Genesis chapter 19, verse 8. Later, he impregnated both daughters incestuously, but the Bible, of course, blames the daughters and accused them of conspiring to get their father drunk so that they could rape him to become pregnant. So apparently, the Bible is harsher on females raping males and males raping females. So female rapists are considered more evil than the male rapists. So we're attaching misogyny to rape. The, the, the shittiness of the Bible, just it just keeps worsening. I dare say that Lot was sexually abusive to his daughters in the house together. Maybe Lot showed them unethical ancient pornography of their day. I think Lot was a sexual predator. If you're willing to offer your daughters to be gang raped, there's there, there's everything about you says that you are a sexual perpetrator. So this is all according to Genesis chapter 19, verse 32-36. In the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says that he, their father, was righteous. Bullshit! He was an unrighteous shitbag. Fuck lot. I have two words to say to lot. Fuck you. I have three words to say to Lot. Kiss my ass. I have three more words to say to Lot. Go to hell. And this is also about so Lot could be sexually aroused, maintain his erection. And he could sexually perform so in his drunken state he revealed his deviant sexual attraction to his own daughters so that makes me think he was raping them while they were sober so because drunkenness reveals how you think when you're sober mm. And it says Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 10 through 13. When you go out to battle against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and you take them away captive and see among the captives a beautiful woman, and have a desire for her, and would take her as a wife for yourself, and you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall also remove the clothes of her captivity, and shall remain in your house, and mourn her father and mother, a full mother, and after that you may go into her. That means to rape her and be her husband, she shall be your wife. Rape and kidnapping were not only approved by the Bible, but they were expressly authorized as part of God's law. What the fuck? God invented rape culture? God invented sexual slavery? God invented sexual abuse. God invented sexual assault. God invented sexual violence. 
God invented sexual bullying? God invented sexual harassment? God invented sexual predatory, sexually perpetrating behavior? God invented molestation? I feel like the wind has just been knocked out of me severely, extremely. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 through 29 mandates that if a young virgin is raped, she must marry the rapist if he pays her father 50 shekels of silver. So God invented the marry a rapist mandate laws? So God invented Rapist's parental custody rights? Again, I feel like throwing up. Yes, those above and many other similar immoral events and laws are right from the quote-unquote good book itself. Good book? It, I don't call it the good book at all. I call that book is a I call that book a the living nightmare. If right and wrong means anything, can anyone truly call the Bible a good book? I, I I don't. I don't. It's a bad book. No, it, it's an evil book. It I used to think the Bible was a wise book, but the more I read it, I'm like, it's a stupid book. Because of all these things that are that are stated outright, it's okay to be an enemy of the human rights movement and your name is Jehovah. I am more and more horrified the more I read more of the Bible. Ugh. Number five, defies reasonable logic. Ever since Homo sapiens organized into groups, they created thousands of gods who they worship and sacrifice to with utmost devotion. Their worship was generally based on superstitions and fear of the unknown. That is what is happening in modern day religion. Religion is based on superstitions and the fear of the unknown. Then it says other times, the common people were just conned by a person seeking power, control, and slash or money. There was never any evidence for their faith except maybe a little fake magic trick now and then or a leader's superior understanding of how things work. Yet thousands of gods were believed by the mass to be real and true. <sighs> So, modern day religion, like ancient religion, is about seeking power, control, money, fake magic tricks, and religious leaders warped sense of superior pseudo-intellectual understanding of how things work. 
And ancient religion is all about superstition, spirits, and unknown too. Yes, thousands of them were really truly believed to be gods, believed by smart, normal, ordinary people. Were they really smart? Were they really normal? Were they really ordinary? I would say they were dumb, abnormal, and I, I would hate to see extraordinary if you don't call them ordinary. Just a damn. If there was a fact, one good God who was actually real, who had all power, and who loved their who loved its creatures, why did that God never intervene in the thousands of deceptions taking place during the thousands of years that that their creatures were being fooled? Yeah, I'm not going to allow my children to be dumbed down and watered down and treated like stupid idiots. No, that's crazy. That should be. And when I say ordinary people, they, those people were extraordinary in all the bad ways. Christians claim that he finally did 2,000 years ago, yet billions of people before and after never got a word from quote-unquote him. When all-powerful God who loved quote-unquote his creatures and desired to know quote-unquote him just refused to or not know how to communicate with them, is there any difference between that and a person who beats an untrained dog for not knowing what the words quote-unquote said? fetch mean <sighs> this is intellectually painful to just absorb such human rights and justices all in one canon that's why I'm breathing a certain way because these passages are hard to read and the interpretations of them are beyond disturbing. So that's why I'm making commentary, but it's, it's difficult because all this pure evil in a book of books, I'm easing down, I'm easing down the road, taking my time, taking my breather because so many verses are just fucked up and shitty and who the fuck tells the the writers to write this shit shits? Who the fuck tells the writer to write these shits? And number six, numerous contradictions. There's literally hundreds of clear contradictions in the Bible. Only a Christian apologist and their followers try to explain them away. Of course they're liars. Just a few examples that shows the impossibility of a perfect God inspiring this book follows. To be perfect is to be without error or mistake, as y'all already know. When when was the empty tomb first discovered by Mary Magdalene? It was after sunrise, according to Mark chapter 16, verse 2, but John chapter 20, verse 1 said it was still dark. Worse yet, John even tells us he saw that the stone had already been removed while it was dark, but in Mark, Wait a minute, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, let me read that correctly. Worse yet, John tells us that she, Mary Magdalene, saw that the stone had already been removed while it was dark. But in Mark, we see her going 
to the tomb after the sun came up, wondering who would move the stone further up to get in. Any attempt to reconcile this will only dig their hole deeper. First Kings chapter 7 verse 15 verse 22 says the two pillars of the temple were 18 cubits high. However, 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 15 to 17 disagrees and says they were 35 cubits high. Has anyone ever seen God? Saying no are John chapter 1 verse 18, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 16, and 1 John chapter 4 verse 12. Saying yes, or Genesis chapter 32, verse 30, and Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. How is a person saved? Just a few of over two dozen ways the Bible gives are. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that it is by faith alone. James chapter 2, verse 21 to 24 states that it is by works. Acts chapter 2 verse 21 and Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says to just call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. However, Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 states that not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew chapter 25 verse 34 through 46 teaches that heaven is obtained only by helping the poor and needy without doing those things one is eternally condemned. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 through 30. Romans chapter 9 verse 15 through 16 clearly states that salvation is only the result of the election. And predestination by God, regardless of what anyone does. Many more quote roads to salvation are documented in the above link. Um, some people are they predestined to hell and predestined to heaven? That's not crystal clear in the canon because you have countries that don't hear about Jesus. And when some people hear about Jesus, the stuff in the Bible makes them go, no, I don't want to be a Christian. Look at all these passages that talk about ancient human trafficking, which what Deuteronomy endorses. Deuteronomy endorses ancient human trafficking. Deuteronomy endorses ancient adult trafficking. Deuteronomy endorses ancient child trafficking. Deuteronomy endorses ancient child prostitution. Deuteronomy endorses ancient child sex tourism. Deuteronomy endorses ancient child sexual slavery. Think about it. The quote-unquote perfect and good God has admitted, quote-unquote, he made a mistake in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. So, quote-unquote, he decided to drown everyone except eight, including all the pregnant women, babies, toddlers, and animals. Elsewhere in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, quote, unquote, his word declares that, quote, unquote, he never changes, quote, unquote, his mind or repents about anything. A careful reading of Genesis chapter 11, verse 26 and 32, and that of Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, and Acts chapter 7, verse 4, will show that Abraham was only 75 years old after he had already lived 135 years. You really must read the fine print if you're going to stake your life on this book. Mm.
I'm just at a loss for words right now, and I'm podcasting, so that's interesting, but when they say, oh, it was a local flood, but it wiped everybody out, so how, how, was it a continent, was it continents that people were wiped out, they can't even give specified facts about the story so it completely makes sense. Again, the book is not of God, it's of people who inserted their frailties and bigotries into the canon. Number seven, not a good God by any definition. Dan Barker was an evangelical fundamentalist pastor for almost 20 years and who also composed many songs some of which are still sung in churches today. His book, God, was thought of God in his autobiography explaining how, quote, unquote, he lost, quote, unquote, his faith with many chapters explaining why. His latest book, God, the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, quotes word for word over a thousand verses, all quoted in full that describe certain attributes of the God of the Bible. He gives each attribute a separate and sizable chapter. Just a few chapters are bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, infanticidal, aborticidal, and misogynistic. The book contains 300 pages of word-for-word inspired scripture and quotations for anyone who wants to know the full story. Most of the passages are obviously ignored by Christian preachers and authors only dwell on a few of the nicer stories and verses. I stole a couple of his chapter titles in the paragraph which follows. Just like most Christians, most Muslims are Muslims because they believe their loving parents who taught them it was true. The same for Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, Zeus, Osiris, Baal, Diana, Apollo, the many Egyptian pharaohs who are believed to have divine attributes and thousands more. To condemn a person with eternal torture for the sin of obeying and respecting the teachings of their loving, caring parents, not anything a good God or even an evil person would think was fair. Given the fact that almost none of them had a Bible, despite its dozens of contradictory ways one must be saved by, and its 200,000 plus variants, I rest my case. It would make, quote unquote, him nothing but a merciless, sadomasochistic, unforgiving, unjust, and a capriciously malevolent monster. Thomas Jefferson had the same thoughts when he wrote his before adopted son, a secretary who was also a career diplomat, William Short, on August 4th, 1820. In his letter, he writes referring to the God of the Bible as a terrible character, cruel, vindictive, capricious, and unjust. That is amazing because Thomas Jefferson, as the slave owner that he was, Thomas Jefferson is describing himself sharing commonalities with the God of the Bible because Thomas Jefferson was a terrible character, cruel, vindictive, capricious, and unjust when he was a sl- when he was in the quote-unquote slave trade. So he and the God of the Bible have those exact negative character traits in common. And then his evidence was solely based on the scriptures themselves. He His, in this case, meaning Thomas Jefferson. Remember, he raped Sally Hammond and rape and slave rape in quotations was endorsed by the bible he got it honestly 
as the saying goes. But he got power, control, and money dishonestly through the, again, slave trade. Number eight, broken promises. John chapter 14, verse 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If, if true, some people are now 2,000 years old. <laughs> John chapter 16, verse 23 to 24. And on that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 to 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. If true, why is there still cancer in malaria? Luke chapter 12, verses 6 through 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very heirs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Yet every year, 600 million, oh, yet six, yet every year, 600 million birds are killed by colliding with window glass. Another two billion are killed by cats. Those figures are just in the United States. There are many people who are always claiming that God has healed them, but never has an amputee ever grown a new arm or a new leg. Explanations such as natural remissions, which occur quite frequently, or the placebo effect, are seldom ever considered. It seems the most miracles, quote-unquote, he is credited of performing by, quote-unquote, his faithful followers are finding lost car keys, giving goosebumps, and healing headaches. I'm so glad about to almost be done with this episode. I'm gonna finish strong, y'all. Number nine is unabashed child abuse. Religious trauma syndrome is a real psychological serious problem with millions of children, even adults. Untold thousands of children suffer nightmares slash or depression, believing that their dead alcoholic father or best friend whose loving parents taught them another religion is burning in hell. Parents do not own their children. They have a duty to help their children grow and to think and make good decisions by using critical thinking skills. Sadly, many parents and Christian organizations promote instruction and indoctrination as absolutely the same as brainwashing. The same way they would build a robot to program it to think and act only in the way the builder decides. Many innocent children are punished for asking questions and are told that to doubt is a serious sin. Many thousands are kicked out of the house, and some have, have all support denied for the sole reason that the logical working brain sought answers and explanations to things that were not clear or did not seem to make logical sense to them. Then it says, Parents do not own their children. They have a duty to help their children grow and think and make good decisions by using critical thinking skills. Sadly, many parents and Christian organizations promote instruction and indoctrination that's absolutely the same as brainwashing, which it is, which it is, the same way they would build a robot. To program it to think and act only in the way, quote unquote, the builder decides. 
Many innocent children are punished for asking questions and are told that the doubt is a serious sin. Many thousands are kicked out of the house and some have all support denied. Some have all support denied for the sole reason that their logical working brain sought answers and explanations to things that were not clear, did not seem to make logical sense to them. To believe the Bible literally is the same as conduct is the same as concluding most of human history. Science, discoveries, biology, physics, geology, astrophysics, astrophysics, and all others are all frauds. Wow. That's what I call intellectual dishonesty, which is very prominent in religion. Such blind faith. I'm into sighted knowledge. Not blind faith. Again, I'm into sighted knowledge. Such blind faith stunts their intellectual and social growth and prevents necessary skills, critical thinking to develop. That is why many cult members and followers of crazy conspiracy theories are those who are indoctrinated to accept things on blind faith. In essence, they were taught that obtaining and weighing evidence was not important. Many were taught that it, that it was downright dangerous that it could destroy their faith. It is no coincidence that the majority of climate deniers, flat earthers, and QAnon followers also espouse strong religious views. Sadly, they lack the skill to think critically. For a deeper understanding of this neglected problem, please explore the many resources that Recovering from Religion and Journey Free. Qualified therapists can be found at the Secular Therapist Project. Wow, those crazy ass conspiracy theories mm. are promulgated by people who are said to be of the Republican Party, and the evidence clearly checks the fuck out. Number 10 absurdities beyond any logical basis. In order to cure and remove leprosy, Leviticus chapter 14, verse 49 to 53 says, to cleanse the house, then he shall take two birds, cedar wood, a scarlet string, and hyssop, and he shall slaughter the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. Then, quote, unquote, he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet string with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the slaughtered bird as well as in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. So he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, with the running water, along with the live bird, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet string. However, quote, quote, he shall let the live bird go free outside the city to the open field, so he shall make atonement for the house and it will be clean. All of this is word salad, talking in circles, run-on sentences, fragmented sentences. And this is pseudo-intellectualism, by the way, everything I just read to you. Numbers chapter 22 verses 21 through 30 is about a talking donkey. Surely an all-powerful God could very easily make a donkey or snake make a donkey or snake to talk. Remember Mr. Ed? That is not the issue. The absurdity is the two-way discussion that the donkey had with his master Balaam. Read it and decide for yourself if it has the least bit of plausibility. 
Balaam speaks to the donkey exactly as he would another person. Shows no surprise or shock that he's talking to an animal. Donkeys don't talk. Snakes don't talk. That's it. Only the most ignorant man could write in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1 through 5, and say that the mother is unclean for seven days and must be segregated for 33 days. Whenever she has a baby boy, it's unclean for 14 days and must be segregated for 66 days whenever her baby is a girl. And millions of people say that every word of the Bible is inspired by an all knowing and perfect God. <sighs> God has a problem with menstrual cycles, and God invented leprosy stigma. Mm, mm, mm. Believing anything without evidence is not only foolish, but it is dangerous. Thousands of gods and religions have once existed, most of which have now completely vanished, and all were based on blind faith, wishful thinking, magical thinking, superstitious or indoctrination and childhood indoctrination, yet most had fervent believers willing to die, many did for their non-existing God. It's one thing to think that a God may have started the universe, but it's nothing to, to ignore the many flaws of the Bible and still claim that it contains no errors that was inspired by a quote-unquote good and quote-unquote perfect all-knowing God. Is there evidence that God started the universe? I have not seen any, scientifically speaking. The evidence is in and it is overwhelming. Suggests that faith without evidence, blind faith somehow supersedes or is more credible than scientific facts or obvious logical realities that has been proven over and over again is not reasonable. It is pure and simple. Utter nonsense for adults to continue in such thinking and to refuse to use the wonderful brain that evolution, not creationism, has developed. Evolution is true. Creationism is false. And so... I'll end with this. For all the people who claim to be pro-life, Psalm chapter 139, Psalm chapter 137, verse 9 says, Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So all you pro-lifers out there, I'll read this one more time for you. Psalm chapter 137, verse 9 says, Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. God is not a pro-life God. And you now know more reasons why I am now recovering from religion. From conservatism. From blind faith. Because I live a life now of sighted knowledge. 